Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The they come running just as fast as they can, cause every girl crazy about a shop dressed man. Edition, as the Bengals announce that their brand new uniforms will be unveiled on Monday. Coming up, I'll discuss the process with Elizabeth Blackburn, the Bengals Director of Strategy and Engagement. Who designed them? How many versions will there be? And what about a throwback uniform? She'll answer those questions and more. Then, it's the greatest debate in these parts since do you cut or twirl your Cincinnati-style chili? Are you Team Sewell or Team Chase when it comes to the Bengals' first pick in this year's draft? If your team pits, you'll have to wait until next week. On this episode of the pod, you'll hear from Panay Sewell's head coach at the University of Oregon, Mario Cristobal, followed by Jamar Chase's position coach at LSU, Mickey Joseph. Both conversations are loaded with interesting nuggets. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a new Masters Tournament video game. Hello, friends. I'm not much of a gamer, but I think that's about to change after last week's announcement that EA Sports is coming out with a new, incredibly detailed video game featuring Augusta National. Not only will we be able to virtually play the course with every dogwood and azalea authentically recreated, but we'll even drive down Magnolia Lane. It's certainly the closest I'll ever come to playing Augusta. He doesn't know it yet, but I've got a 14-year-old son who is going to get that game as a present, whether he wants it or not. I might even allow him to play the game with me. Now, let's get to football. Back in January, the Bengals announced that they will literally have new stripes this year. They are changing their uniform for the first time since 2004. Today on Bengals.com, the team posted a fantastic video about the history of their uniforms, along with the announcement that their new look will be unveiled on Monday. To give you an idea of what's gone into the process, I spoke to the Bengals' Director of Strategy and Engagement, Elizabeth Blackburn. Elizabeth, let's start with the why. Why did the Bengals decide it was time for a new look? The process to change your uniform is quite a lengthy process. So while I've I have seen fans make comments about let's change let's change now or let's change because we got a new quarterback, it's actually a multi-year process. But even with all of that said, we knew that we hadn't changed our uniform since 2003. And I believe this predated my arrival, but when we went through the coaching change, it felt like it had been a a while since we changed our uniforms and it was time for a new look and a a new uniform to accompany that next chapter in, in Bengals history. Tell us what the process is like. Do a bunch of people submit designs or do you pick a designer who submits a bunch of concepts? So the NFL is partnered with Nike. So we work with Nike to redesign the uniform. And the process starts with a brief where the team explains 
what they're looking for. And from there, Nike works with their team of designers to come back with options and go through a process where we've given them the brief, they come back with designs, you go through a few iterations back and forth, I like this, I don't like that. And ultimately, that's how you land on the final design. So describe what the Bengals were looking for. Fans and players love our Color Rush uniform because it is sleek, it is bold. So we wanted to build on that. In addition, we were factoring in some elements of the existing uniform that we knew were kind of ready for an update. So combining some particular pain points on our existing uniform that were frankly in style in 2003, but style has changed since then, it was kind of eliminate some of these particular pain points with the broad goal of achieving a sleek, timeless, iconic, bold design. We're talking to Elizabeth Blackburn, the Bengals Director of Strategy and Engagement. I've been amazed by all the cool designs that fans have posted on social media. There are some really talented people out there. Was that the case for you as well? We are not allowed to use or look at fan or other creative input. It has to purely be through Nike. There is like a proprietary element there. Mm -hmm. But so I haven't looked too, too closely, Mm -hmm. but I enjoy seeing our fans, you know, post and comment enough to a appreciate the talent you just mentioned. I mean, it is amazing how many of our fans are so talented in jersey swaps and creating new concepts. It's amazing. I also just through comments have, you know, seen some of the particular pain points I would describe them with our existing uniform and I hope that fans are relieved to hear that the organization echoed some of those opportunity areas to make the new uniform less blocky and more sleek in the new design. So how did you make the final choice? It's funny because as you go through the process, honestly, by the end, it's almost a little anticlimactic because you are finessing over the tiniest little detail. And then finally, you just have to be done. And I think for me, I I was very involved in some of those tiny little last minute, oh, make it just a little bit this way. And it took me a little bit of time between, yep, okay, deadline, this is it. And then honestly, you, you are often doing other things. And then several months later, when we saw the first prototype, it was exciting to see the final design. And I hope everybody feels as excited as we were when we got to unbox it for the first time. How many versions and color combinations will there be with the new uniform? So there will be three different jerseys and three different pants that give us, at max, a combination of nine but we'll work with you know, the team to decide. I'm not sure we'll really plan to use, and fans will see all nine of them this year. There, there's like one that sort of really just is meant to be together. What about the possibility of throwback uniforms at some point going forward? Throwback uniforms are a possibility. 
going through the new uniform design and process for this year, we just wanted to introduce our new uniforms and really showcase our new uniform and the new uniform combinations we just talked about for this year. So that's where and why fans will only see three jerseys this year and no, no throwback. It is something that we're thinking about for future years because the league has a lot of rules on the uniforms and that's why fans, we hear you and we, we know you want that white helmet, <laughs> but right now by rule, we're only allowed to have one helmet. The NFL rules also stipulate that you can have up to, but no more than four jerseys. We'll have three this year and for future years, we can keep you know, a fourth jersey on the table. We'll have to explore that. The helmet is not changing. Did you consider changing helmet? We did a little bit. When I joined in on the process, I wasn't there since the beginning. I don't know if it was halfway or frankly later because it's so many years. So I was coming in probably at like the 70% mark and we were still toying with a very minor tweak to the helmet that honestly when I saw the initial deck, I didn't even notice. And because our helmet is so iconic and it's sleek and the only modification they were suggesting to me lost some of that sleek element that really I think pairs nicely with the new uniforms. You think of a tiger, you think of a sleek, beautiful animal, someone ferocious and the the minor tweak on the helmet made it just feel a little clunky and didn't feel worth it. We will get our first look next Monday. April 19th. This is very exciting stuff. I appreciate you for taking us inside the process. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you, Dan. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. On Tuesday, I decided to take a look at mock drafts that have come out in the last two weeks and found 15 on ESPN, CBS Sports, NFL.com, Pro Football Focus, and Pro Football Network. Six have the Bengals selecting Oregon offensive lineman Panay Sewell with a fifth overall pick. Six have Cincinnati taking LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. And three have the Bengals going for Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. We'll get to Pitts next week, but today it's more expert testimony in the Team Sewell versus Team Chase debate. Up first... I recently spoke to Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal shortly before Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, offensive line coach Frank Pollock, and director of player personnel Duke Tobin traveled to Washington to watch Panay Sewell's Pro Day. Coach, let's start with the recruiting process. Do you remember first hearing about Panay, and what were your initial impressions of him? Well, I remember it very vividly where uh, Coach Joe Salovey, our defensive line coach, um, he, we had just gotten here to Oregon. I was coming from the University of Alabama, where coincidentally, um, the recruitment of your other tackle, Jonah Williams, which is for another day in time, but uh, we could certainly, uh, that would be a fun one to talk about too. But um, my man, Joe Salavea, pulls out a, a video and he shows me the a video of his neighbor's son, uh, the Sewell family, and uh, how he's playing offensive line over in Utah. At, uh, at Desert Pines, and I was like, whoa, that is that is some uncommon power and explosiveness and athletic ability. We, we have to recruit this guy, and, and that's how it started, 
and that led to a very uh, just winding, crazy, fun, exciting, um, I would say, uh, just incredible journey of a recruiting process, and the rest is history. How did you sell them on coming to Oregon? Well, we were just real. You know, we had uh, felt that we had established a really good offensive line process while we were at the University of Alabama. And that was a process that we were bringing over here. You know, it was one that, you know, the system that we played with, played in at the University of Miami and carried over a large chunk of that to, to Alabama and then continued to tweak it and brought it over here. And that the uh, the offense and and this, the I would say, the culture was going to be set around what we do up front. And it starts with the offensive line and the defensive line and that he could be a, a difference maker. And we said it. And not in a recruiting sense, we said it in a very real and honest sense. And I think he saw the vision. He saw the vision. He knew that there was some work to be done, but he jumped in full throttle and uh, he made a tremendous impact, a historical run here, both in the, the 18 and 19 season. We are talking to Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal. He started for you as a true freshman at the age of 17. It was a month before his 18th birthday. How quickly was it apparent that he could start right off the bat? Well, it was, I would say, practice five. When um, In practice one, you knew. I mean, there were, he was knocking guys around. I mean, he, was, he, he grasped concepts so easily, just very natural, very instinctive. But when it really hit you was, and off-the-line coaches out there can appreciate, you know, he's, we're running power pass, and we was, he was playing right tackle. He was playing right tackle and, and thought that would be a good way to kind of, you know, let him get adjusted and progress. And during power pass, as he's locked into a double team, he felt something kind of hit his his ankle. And you could see him. He's engaged in the block. He looks down, and he sees the guard that somehow had gotten tripped up on his way to pull for the defensive end. And here's a 17-year-old freshman in practice five feels that, sees that, realizes that, okay, that guy's on the ground. No one's going to block the defensive end. So he presses off the double team, maintains presence on the double team, and gets a hand out there to block the defensive end long enough to get the ball off. So it, that's like the type of intuition, the type of, I don't know, spider sense that a 10-year NFL veteran has. So that that just, it, it blew us away. And it made us realize, okay, this we, we knew about the ability, we knew about the desire, the, the want to, but now when you combine these type of instincts, this level of football IQ without ability, we're, we're gonna it's gonna be a special special win. I spoke to an NFL draft guru who gives Panay very high marks, but says that he needs to get stronger. Is that fair? And is there anything else that you think uh, that's really obvious that he needs to improve? He's the best lineman in college football, and it's not by a little. And the fact that he's, what is he now, 20? Um, his body is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think when you guys see him work out at the upcoming pro day and uh, the combine, you're going to see a 300 and, oh, he'll probably be down at 335, 332. He's going to look like he's 300 because he's lean, he's explosive, he's strong. He will. Uh, he already has great strength. And it's going to get even better because he's so young. Like, he's just beginning to develop. I mean, this is like, uh, this is a guy that's uh, on a different level type of track towards uh, towards greatness and prominence in the NFL. So I uh, feel very confident where he is and where he's going. Our guest is Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal. You've been quoted as saying that Panay 
is the best overall football player that you've been around. Now, you just had Justin Herbert. You played on national championship teams at Miami. You coached at Alabama. So that's saying something. What lifts Panay to that level? Yeah, I've had a bunch of my former players just kill me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because uh, it, it, there's so many that are up there. You mentioned Justin. I mean, again, you know, some of the guy on your own team right now, they're um, as good as it gets. Um, Panay, as young as he was, I mean, you're looking at a guy that really could have spent another year in high school right, was almost a grade ahead, is that when you combine that type of power, athleticism, if you watch film, he's rarely ever, ever on the ground. That type of balance, ability to slide, anchor, be that light-footed but heavy-handed, have that type of flexibility in your hips and ankles, uh, understand the intent of a play, hat position, what the guys around you are doing, and when you play that hard to finish and knock people back, um, it's just, it's rare. It's, it's elite, you know, it's, it's hundred percentile. And, uh, I just, what can I say? The guy in his second year in college football won the Outland trophy at 19. <laughs> Think about that. And he was having the best off season in his life before our season was canceled and then later restarted. So I don't think it's, it's understood how incredibly advanced this guy is. And, but the more they watch him, they realize what his age is. You're, you're just not going to find a better prospect. I really don't think at any position. But, again, and look, I get it. I coach the guys, so people say, well, he's biased. It's like I, I've been around and been lucky. I've been lucky and fortunate to be around great players. This guy is as good as it gets. And, um, again, just getting started. And I had forgotten about your ties to Jonah Williams from your years as an Alabama assistant. So if the Bengals wind up selecting Panay, if he's still there at number five and Cincinnati takes him, how would they be set with Jonah Williams on one side and Panay at the other? Oh, my Lord. Are you, to me, those two guys right there, because Jonah was, I've always, you know, you, if there's probably old coach to be talking about Jonah, the best I have ever seen because I recruited Jonah as hard as any human being you could ever imagine and then try to match that in recruiting Panay because they're game changers. I'll never forget watching Jonah at a practice when I flew out there to Folsom, California, and it was in shorts and helmets, but the guy was going full speed as if it was in pads, as heavy-handed, great balance and power. If you have those two guys at tackle, I... You know, again, I, I'm in college football. I don't, I don't get to watch as much NFL football as, as I would like to due to the, the scheduling. But I can't imagine. I haven't been around better tackles than that. You know, Cam Robinson. I mean, those guys are. You know, Brian McKenney's. These are just the top of the food chain guys. Last thing for Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal. Years from now, when you are speaking at an Oregon function and uh, telling the alums a story about Panay Sewell. What will you tell them? What will be the uh, the message you'll, message you'll want to pass along about him? The recruiting process was driving him crazy, which in turn drove us crazy. He was really hard to find, you know. And um, the final uh, the final piece was that I wasn't allowed to go see him anymore because college rules, once that coach sees and visits a guy, he can't go back. So our GA and our defensive line coach was very close with the family. They were actually uh, neighbors in American Samoa. Um, they went to the house and I, the final piece, the final tipping point is our GA actually put on our mascots <laughs> part of the <laughs> to help tip it over. And I don't know if it upset Panay or if it got him <laughs> to, to, 
need. But uh, all in all, I just uh, I, I don't know it'll be more of a story as it is the relationship with that family. And I have a feeling that, uh, well, I don't have a feeling. I fully am fully confident that in a couple of years, uh, you and I will be probably having a similar conversation about his brother, who's a freshman All-American linebacker, uh, at six foot three, two hundred sixty-five pounds. So that sounds like the Lee Corso recruiting technique: bring the duck head and and pull that out if you need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, it was okay. I don't know if you could do that anymore, but uh, either way, it um, it was a great recruiting process, and certainly blessed that that family allowed us in their lives, and it turned out like it did. Coach, I know you've got a really busy schedule. We appreciate your time, and thanks for the insight on Panay Sewell. I appreciate you having me, and I wish you guys a great draft. That was a pretty compelling case for Team Sewell. Now it's Team Chase's turn as we visit with LSU wide receivers coach Mickey Joseph, who incidentally is the older brother of former Bengals defensive backs coach and Denver Broncos head coach Vance Joseph. Coach, describe Jamar Chase as a person. You know, great kid. Really enjoy coaching him, you know take the shirt off his back and give it to you if you need it. You know, he just always um, always was always was willing to help people. You know, I mean, when, when, when it comes down to his, to his teammates, you know, he, he you know, he always treated them like they were brothers, you know. He, and, and that's one thing you, you love about him and his family, that they're good people and they um, they're really, they're really just the heart that they have, the love, the love that he has in his heart for his teammates and people around him. He's a great kid. What do you think are his greatest traits as a wide receiver? He plays with power. And when I say he plays with power, the way he catches the ball, the way the way he once he tucks the ball, once he turns into a runner, the way he puts his foot in the ground as a route runner, everything he does with power, when he's releasing off the line of scrimmage press coverage, it's power, his strength, and his twitchiness with it. And it's um it's a rare trait that you're twitchy like this, but you play with so much power. Because usually power guys are not twitchy, you know, and he's a he's a power guy, but he's he's twitchy also. So you know he's an outside guy that he can release press, you know, if he's an outside receiver, you know. But also you can put him in a slot, and he's twitchy enough to run option routes and things of that sort. We're talking to Mickey Joseph, the wide receivers coach at LSU. What did you notice in the chemistry between Joe Burrow and Jamar a couple of years ago? Well. One, one thing about Joe, and, you know, you, you, you said we missed that. He was always in total control. They were always they were always on the same page. You know, they, they'd do some things in the game, and um, it'd, be off, it'd be off course, you know, but, you know, they worked on it. If you look at the one play with from Alabama when Jamar couldn't get inside on a glance, he just broke it up the field and, and turned it into, like, a, a run back, you know. <laughs> That's something him and Joe probably worked on. You know, but they they had really good chemistry. Joe could kind of look at him, and no way, no no way he's going to be on the field at all time. And he had a good feel where Joe was going to place the ball on certain routes. It just the chemistry was just there, you know, with um with with Jamar and Joe, and it was you know it was just I mean Joe one won the Heisman, the other one won the Bolivicar. Coach, I know you would have loved to have him on the field last year, but what do you think he did for himself uh, after deciding to opt out? Well, I think what happened, you know, what, you know, just if you think about it, if you think about it with, with, with Jamar, you know, I thought he had a chance to rest his body, 
you know, because he 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 goes he he goes hard. He practices hard. If you if you'd have watched him practice leading up to the weeks that he opted out, you'd have never known that he was opting out. And I think it was more of just a, um, a family decision. Uh, you know, he, he did call back. You know, week week three, and he wanted to come back because he stayed in school. Best thing you know, he stayed in school, and he he was still doing his schoolwork, trying to make sure he gets his um gets his degree, which I was very proud of him for that. But um, Jamar Jamar just man just you know just unbelievable. You know the things that 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 we missed when he wasn't there. But you know, like I said, I thought he 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 became a um, he was a little healthier. You know, when he when he worked out, he looked good. His body looked good. He wasn't beat up. And um, you see the way he ran, and he and he plays fast like that. So I think it's just by him testing off the charts because of the time that he had off the rest of his body. Justin Jefferson obviously had a tremendous rookie year. What does that say about Jamar's potential ability to come right in in year one and succeed? Well, I always say this. NFL five yards, after five, six yards, you can't touch him. And, and Jets had an unbelievable year. You know, and I, and I think, you know, just because they were so used to being held, you know, yeah. 20 yards down the field, all the way down the field. And I think, you know, the NFL rule really benefits these kids because they're very explosive and very powerful and strong. And I think, you know, Jets Jets had a great year, and I'm looking forward to see what Jamar's going to do in the league, you know, because I knew Jets had a, a, a great year. But, you know, something I expected, you know, and it, it ain't too many people in the country can cover these two kids one-on-one, you know, one-on-one because the things that they do. But the one thing they do – well, they both can catch the ball. <laughs> you know, they can catch the ball and they can catch. You know, they can bring in contested catches. You can be hanging on them and they still can bring the ball in. And they run great routes. You know, Jamar runs great routes, so does Jets. But like I said, Jamar is like, he's more powerful. We're talking to Mickey Joseph, the wide receivers coach at LSU. Do you have a favorite Jamar story? A favorite Jamar story? Um, it's really him in terms of marching. It was their freshman year. And, you know, and I was, you know, he's like, you know, you got to break him in. They're five stars. So you got to break him in. We play in Florida. And, you know, a couple of things went, 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 went left, went right, you know, and, and I, and I didn't play him as much. And, and when I coming out, when I was coming out the locker room, I had um, one of the coaches tell me like, Hey, the chase and the Marshall family's out there waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I went back in and kind of, you know, unloosed my tie and, because I know they were very disappointed that they didn't play, but it was a it was growing pains for them their freshman year. And the funny thing about it that I, I I told both sets of parents that if if you trust what I'm doing with your kids, one day we're gonna sit back and laugh about it, and and, uh, and you all gonna y'all are gonna be rich. You know you're gonna have more money than you have now. And and at pro day we all laughed about that. You know because they you know they didn't understand. And I, and I do take I do take my time with them. You know, I, I put them out there to see just how much I can get out of them, you know. And I and I think that Jamal learned from that. Terrence learned from that. That now coming in the door, their rookie year, they, they're not going to come in saying, oh, I don't have to do this, I don't do this, I'm just going to get open. They're going to come in knowing I got to use my technique. I got to run good routes. I got to see the ball. I got to do all the don't lose the technique stuff. And I think they learned that from their freshman year when they came in, they're just going to play on natural ability. But now when we have guys like, you know, Greedy Williams here, you know, from Fulton here and, you know, Stingley here, we got dudes here, you know. So I think they learn, learn from that, and I think it's going to help them with the beginning of the NFL career. I spoke to Chris Blair, the radio voice of 
the Tigers, and he was telling me about the summer of 10,000 passes where these wide receivers literally committed to catch 10,000 passes during the course of the summer. Uh, What does that say about the group that you've been coaching at LSU? Well, it was something that um, Joe Brady, Joe Brady came here when Joe Brady came in, he he bought it here and and we we asked the guys to catch um, 10,000, 10,000 balls from spring up until, um, to know from the end of spring until the first, um, until we report for training camp. And um, and it was they 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 tried to do it. You know, I think some of them got up to like eight thousand. And we did the same thing this year, right before spring ball. We gave them three months to catch five thousand balls. So we do we put you know put an emphasis on all that. Then we'll we'll come back right after spring balls over Saturday. Sunday will start their ten thousand ball quest. So okay, Joe Brady brought that here, and I thought you know it was really good. It's not just catching catching ball. You can catch tennis balls. You know, as long as you're catching the ball, they can, they can, like we got to tell them they can be in the backyard with their girlfriend and she can be tossing the tennis ball to them because it's hand eye coordination that we're working on and, and, um, and hand flexibility, being able to squeeze the ball and have strong hands. And so the boys did that and that, you know, so that's one thing that we, we, we do here now. But, um, you know, you, you had to take your hats off to them. They, they was out there every day catching balls and I think that, that helped them. So Jamar is obviously going to be a top 10 draft pick, and Terrace Marshall could be a first-round pick as well. If he doesn't go in the first, he'll certainly be gone uh, by the end of the second. What kind of an NFL prospect is Terrace Marshall? Well, Terrence, I think Terrence is a kid that, you know, he can play X, F, or Z. He can play all three. And I think Terrence is, you know, real twitchy for a 6'2", six, 6'3", six, six, kid. He's got really good hands. You see, he's got long ball speed that he can go get the deep ball. And I think, you know, he. I think with Terrence, if Terrence was on another football team, with it was just him, he would be. He'd have been fine. You know, like you know, like C.D. Lamp. He was the only one at OU team. You know, OU's big. So, but Terrence had to play with Jamar, <laughs> Clyde, Justin. You know. Um, Thaddeus Moss. So he kind of, you know, and, and we never had the first option, second option, third. We just called plays. You know, we called plays. And whoever's well, the option is the option. But at one point, Terrence was leading the country with, with nine touchdowns in three weeks. So Terrence, fo- best football's ahead of him. And I know last year, you know, on film, you know, it looked like he took some plays off. But, you know, he was he was beat up sometimes, you know, because, you know, practice hard and play, you know. And we, you know, so – but I think his best football is ahead of him. And I'm excited to see him because he's a, he's a kid that can catch the ball and can run and can get open, you know. But think about what he brings. He, he can play he can play all three. He can play the X position, the F position, and the Z position because he's played all three here at LSU. So I'm, I'm excited to see what Terrence is going to do. Like, I, talk, I, think, I tell him, like I told him last year about Jets, I think these two kids are the top, the top, in, the top two in the draft. You know, I know them other kids, but I, I look at those other kids and I'm like, shh. They don't play against the heat that these kids played against every week. You know, I mean, the one kid at Alabama did, you know, but I just think that these two kids are big as statue and, and they're strong, you know, and they're not going they got they're not gonna get knocked around. And in terms is, you know, for terms of a kid that size who can do things like that, that's special. Couple more questions for Mickey Joseph, the wide receivers coach at LSU. You referenced Thaddeus Moss. The Bengals just picked him up. Uh, yesterday, the day before this conversation, do you think Joe Burrow can help bring out the best in Thaddeus as an NFL player? 
I think he, I think he can. And 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 I'll, I'll tell people this: you know, Thaddeus is probably one of the smartest football players I've ever been around. He's one of the kids. He's got some of the best hands. He runs some of the best routes. But he's a, I mean, he's an every down tight end. You know, he's an every down tight end. Like you can leave him in on third down. He will pass block. He can run routes. You know, you see the catch he made against Alabama. That's unbelievable. You know, but the thing about Thaddeus, Thaddeus has got some dog in him. He's gonna get after you. And I think, you know, just, you know, just being around Joe again, that's going to help him also. And there's another person that Joe trusts, you know, because Joe really trusts Thaddeus. If you knew that was that, that was Joe's safe, you know, safety net. And he had to check it down. He was going to Thaddeus. And he knew Thaddeus was going to catch it. You know, so I'm proud of Thaddeus. I'm excited for him. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy Joe trying to get the band back together. <laughs> Final question, Coach, and I appreciate your time. If you polled Bengals fans right now, I think there's a pretty even split about half of them would like to see the team select Panay Sewell, the offensive lineman from Oregon. The other half are hoping they'll take Jamar Chase number five overall. Uh, you obviously are, are not exactly a neutral party here, but what would the Bengals be getting if they select Jamar Chase with a fifth pick? I think I think you're getting a playmaker, a, a, a guy that not only can move the chains, the guy that can um, get in the end zone. When he is the red zone, he's a big-time red zone. Um, threat, and I think um, it's a guy Joe Joe play with, you know. And I think one thing about quarterbacks, they got to be comfortable with the guys that they're around, you know. And and these guys got chemistry together, like you know, they played together for two years, so they kind of can look at each other and say, okay, this is what he's about to do, and and they trust in each other. And I think one thing with Jamar, you you get a hell of a player, a, a kid that refused to lose, you know, he refused to lose. He never lost in playground. He never lost in high school. He never lost in college. So what you get, you get winners, you know, and that's part of that's part of any culture. It's about when you when you talk about college college programs, and you talk about NFL um, organizations. It's about the culture, you know, and the culture here at LSU that we win, and that's what those kids gonna bring over there. They're gonna bring over the attitude like, hey, any means necessary, we win in this game. And one thing at LSU, we always say, focus on winning the game. You know, a guy that was at Cincinnati, Kevin Cole, brought that to us. You know, saying that, hey, focus on winning the game. So here at LSU, we focus on winning the game. And that's what that's what Jamar's going to bring to the table, that he's going to do everything in his power. Don't care if he's got to go block a punt, he's got to run kicks back, whatever he's got to do, he's going to do to make sure his team wins the game. And one thing, he don't need all the credit. He just gets out there and he plays. You know, he's just going to get out there and play. And I would love to see, you know, with all those kids back together because I know what those – I know what that is. I always say that's points. You know, Joe Burrow and Thaddeus Moss and Jamar Chase. Maybe you get Terrence down the line, and you know that's that's points. You know that's points because you 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 know the kids don't they're gonna find a way to get open and they're gonna find a way to win. Coach, outstanding stuff. I can't thank you enough. Appreciate your time and best of luck this year with the Tigers. Thank you, thank you. Good luck to you guys in the draft. I have previously devoted entire episodes of this podcast to Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. Next week. It's Kyle Pitt's turn. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.